Hello and welcome to episode 222 of the Spruce and Bruce podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined by this guy called Matt, who I've not don't seem to have spoken to on the podcast for a while. Hi, Matt. Hello, how's it going? It's a bit of an old school podcast for just the two of us, isn't it? I've, it, I've been uh, elsewhere for a couple of podcasts recently. I do, I do apologise, Dave. I you, feel I'm letting the side down. You do say it's old school. I've been doing this for a few weeks now because it's just been me and Jay. And now yeah. it's me and you. It, we, yeah, it's um, it doesn't feel so old school anymore feels current um, well, hopefully the stars will align and we'll have everybody in place next week next, yeah. next week yes because we have got another episode coming next week which is exciting yes, yes we do because i mean we're not gonna lie are we matt there's a big preview on saturday so it'd be bonkers for us not to talk about it and um, because I'm, I'm sure it's going to be absolutely crammed full of gorgeous models and hopefully some interesting reveals um so yeah hopefully we'll have andy and jay on Ideally next week, so we can all gush over some amazing models, but we'll we'll have to see. Um, but let you know, let's not get too ahead of ourselves because we do have this week's podcast. Uh, and this week, Matt, I think we're having another one of your retrospective specials. Yeah. So, so on Saturday, the Saturday after this podcast goes out, is Warhammer Day celebrating 40 years of Warhammer Fantasy. Can you believe it? So, like with our recent uh, episode, we went through epic. Um, I thought we'd do a little bit of a wind the clock back to 1983 and explore the various editions of Warhammer Fantasy Battle that have come out. So, yeah, it's a fun episode this one, it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to time with that, as you may imagine, and if you've seen our social media channels, uh, we're going to be talking about our top three Warhammer Fantasy models later on in the show. And we will be reading out some of your community choices as well before the podcast finishes. And absolutely, we've got some news as well to chat about. Um, but before we get stuck into all of that, let's have a quick chat about what we've been doing in the hobby recently. And I'll start us off because I, I think you'll have quite a bit to talk about, Max. You know, it's been a while since we've had you on. Yeah. Um, I have had, um, I've actually got quite a bit of hobby done quite recently um but i think the best place to kick start because i don't think i could talk about it on the last episode is i've been painting some of the brand new space marines uh, in particular one um to be honest I-, I wanted to put a lot of time and, and effort into it and I- i'm really happy with how it turned out and that's my raven guard um space marine captain with jump pack all primary sized um in his-, his sort of bigger scale leaping off a rock what an absolute awesome model that is! I think he was they, they my favourite cool, model from the they? range. I've yeah. uh, I've been very. You, you guys have painted up the uh, the space marines. You and Jay between you, and I'm probably sitting on space marines until the uh, the the dark angels get their book next year because I really enjoyed mm. painting up the line. But I gotta admit, I am tempted to pick up some of these new space marine kits to paint green. Yes, they're they're very cool. I got to build. I've not had a chance to paint them yet, but I got to build the um, assault intercessors with jump packs. Uh, they were very, very cool. Um, I've said it on the video, and I've, I think I've said it in the article as well. I really like these miniatures that are kind of leaping off objects rather than relying on those silly plastic stands, especially oh. the new ones. I hate them so much. When they snap and they've got to fix them with super glue, and then they just look rubbish then, don't yeah. they? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really pleased that's the approach. I know it's a bit Marmite. Some people don't like them because you kind of lose a little bit of the illusion. Um, but I, I personally really like them. All the models were fantastic to put together. Uh, I think I said um, to you on, on our kind of private chat, uh, Matt, that um, I think I, I got really into building jump packs for these guys. They're all the captain and all his mates. 
the way you build the uh, the jetpack is is all the same. It's made up of like three little parts, but it's such a satisfying build. I don't know why. I just <laughs> I just really enjoyed building jump packs. Um, so yeah, that, that they were they were very very cool. Jay um had the pleasure of um painting the chaplain in Terminator armor, um which he slightly converted, which was very very cool. And um, he also had his hands on the the stern guard, which is a very cool sprue. Um, we, we we got them a little bit late, but we also unboxed the Terminators as well, which is another amazing kit with uh, plenty of options in there. And it's great to see the return of the Cyclone missile launcher as well, because that's so iconic on those Terminators, isn't it? Yeah, they, I, I out of all the kits, that's the one that I'm really keen to paint up. Hmm. Excellent. Um, so aside from that, um, I've actually I've got my eyes firmly set on the team tournament, which is the end of this month. I've been saying for ages, loads of time to paint my guard, loads of time. And now suddenly I don't seem to have much time at all. <laughs> um, so I've been frantically painting some Imperial Guard. I got a unit of um, Cadians uh, almost finished. I finished a couple of tanks. Um, we had a practice game, Matt where I took yeah. what was going to be my 2K list against um, your 2K list. I mean, what what did you bring along, Matt? So I brought all of the demons. I brought Bellacor, a Bloodthirster with the Relic Axe, a Great Unclean one with the Relic um, Fiona Pain, a Keeper of Secrets, a Little Lord of Change, and then a Big Lord of Change with the Relic Staff. Uh, and then a unit of Nurglings and a unit of Juggernauts, um, that just because I had points free. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lots of lots of dancing around, using stratagems, putting things in and out of the warp to hop around the battlefield. Because, you know, with six greater demons facing you, it's a hard target priority, isn't it? And it, it worked pretty well. Yeah, it did. It, it was a really. I mean, up until turn four, it was a very you know, very close game. You were you were leading the points from the start, but I wasn't too far back. But by turn four, I'd kind of lost my big assets, really, apart from my Shadow Sword. Um, and it was getting very hard to score objectives and you kind of had locked down all the primaries. So you were nicely sort of ticking over on the points. But up until that point, um, it, yeah, I could have potentially stolen it if a few other things had gone differently. I know in the first, was it the first turn? You moved your blood first onto the center objective, um, and I drew my cards, and basically it all pointed towards this blood first and must die. Um, and you rolled an incredible amount of invulnerable saves on him. Um, I think yeah. it was my very last tank, the very last model I had to shoot, finished him off, which was great. I killed the target I wanted to kill, but it meant that all your other great demons were completely untouched going into your turn two. So. Yeah, with oh, well. that list I can pretty much afford to turn one, nothing should die because everything's out of range due to Bellicor shenanigans and then I can afford to lose a, a greater demon each turn in the following turns and then the other ones are getting stuff done ideal solution, people split their fire and shoot at everything and don't kill anything I think you did the right thing focusing yeah. down and killing them you were unlucky, you, you had the firepower to potentially take out two greater demons a turn and that's something I can't come back from 
Yeah. Um, I, I popped the stratagem to re-roll ones from vulnerable saves. That and was, how many yeah. how many ones followed by fours did I roll? Uh, I don't think I don't think every time you re-rolled one, I, d- I don't think you failed a single one of them. Then on that second roll, I think you made every invulnerable save when you had to use a re-roll. So, yeah, it, but it was still a, a very good game, and I actually came away um, wanting to take more tanks. So now my list is is pretty much completely changed, and it's uh, mainly tanks, which means my deadline of, of having them all painted in a couple of weeks um although i was confident i would have got them done anyway now there should be no excuse for me not to get them done because you know i could probably paint a tank a night um so uh yeah shouldn't shouldn't be a problem to get them all done um i think that uh, nicely goes over to what you've been doing in the hobby matt yeah well i've been um but originally i was going to do uh tyranids for the um for the tournament and i did paint up some tyranids which i can't remember if we spoke about last week maybe even the podcast before that was on it's a while ago um but obviously the 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 rapid rate of releases continues so i've been working on new release stuff really uh, and and very little personal hobby time um but i painted some awesome kits so uh, we were very kindly sent the new Warcry and the new Underworld sets by Games Workshop. And yeah, I've had a hoot painting them up. So I'm, I'm doing a Cities of Sigma force, but I, I want to kind of batch paint that and get all the colours the same and, and get all that matching. So I worked on the Ogre Gorgeous first. And you know what? They are really nice models, Dave. Yeah, I, I, I like these when I saw them, but I actually I think I like them even more. I've now seen them in person. Uh, and your painted versions are much improved on the old one. Yeah, well, so Gorgeous were just a, a single model choice, weren't they, for the Ogres previously? Well, now these yeah. are a unit of five. They've got different weapon options. So obviously it's a, it's a war cry kit, predominantly, but um, I suspect they will get some um, Age of Sigmar rules, which maybe means that an Ogre book isn't too far off either. Obviously, cool. uh, we've probably got the new edition next year so everything's going to change no doubt but uh yeah. yeah i'm interested to see what these guys do on the battlefield because um they're really really nice models and then from the uh underworld box i painted up the thrice fold discord which isn't like a discord channel or something it is actually <laughs> a new warband of um Slaneshi demons and the, and the law for these is pretty good so these these guys have, have been involved in various uh, battles for Slanesh, and if, if Slanesh players will know that there's a there's a sub faction where you've got different commanders all trying to outdo each other, and mm. and this has happened in this scenario where these three demons they really hate each other's guts, and their rivalries have, have caused the battles to be lost for Slanesh. So where uh, Celesk, the vengeful um, alliance, has kind of summoned them together, and for their punishment. For, for losing battles because of their disagreements, they have been cursed to spend eternity together, which they <laughs> really, really hate. Uh, and the reason I suppose I've decided to go a little bit different with them, I used um, Duncan Rhodes' Tooth and Coats Wave 2 on these, and there's a really nice grey-green triad. So I highlighted them up through, it's like more like, a, I guess, like a khaki kind of green. So I highlighted them up to grey through that, and then over the top of that, I put a purple glaze. So the green acts as a nice kind of like shade to the purple, but then the the, the greys then become purples, which gives them a weird kind of, I don't know, unnatural skin colour, doesn't it? Very demony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the, these were great fun to paint up, but I'm really keen to paint some more Slanesh. I, I kind of had a bit of a Slanesh stint last year when I painted up my mortal stuff. 
and I, I think I might bust out once I've done all the other various million things that you're doing, uh, bust out the, the greater demons and the twins and all that stuff and paint them using this new scheme that I've done for them. Yeah, I, I really like your, uh, when you, Celeste seems to have a, I know you're a chaos god at heart, you know, you love all of chaos, but I think Slanesh, I, when I play you, I kind of imagine you, you know, wanting to play as Slanesh. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to see you paint those up in that new scheme because they look incredible. Um, you very kindly allowing me to paint the, the deepkin side of that box, um, which is more, more, more akin to what I like, really. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to getting some paint on those. Probably, you know, once I've got the, the guard finished, I might quickly do that warband. Um, I just hope it doesn't tempt me to get a Deepkin army. Oh, <laughs> but, um, if it does, it's really the cool. end of the world. They're really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I've also been uh, getting ready for, for the old world. So, Jay, I'm sure he would have been sharing if he was on the show this week that he's been assembling and rebasing more dwarfs than I've ever seen. He must have about three or 4,000 points of dwarfs that are in various yeah. states of rebasing. And... Um, I've been on a bit of an eBay mission to pick up some of the 8th edition books and some older ones that I've stumbled across. Now, old army books are in a weird place on eBay. If you look at Buy It Now, it's like 70, 80 quid. But there's stuff on auction starting 99p that you can get for like a fiver if you're lucky. So I've been there like last minute sniping auctions, trying to get some books. And I've put together a, a fairly decent collection of, of um, 8th edition army books. Frustrating thing is I had a lot of these and kind of gave them away to like charity shops and stuff years and years ago. Yeah. Um, but being able to get them at you know reasonable prices off auctions, like it can be done. So don't be deterred by the, the silly prices people are charging for buy it now. So you can get them. You can get them fairly cheap and I, I wanted them for inspiration for for putting together armies i've got various ideas of old old world armies that i want to do um and once things start winding down towards christmas we have the you know the army bundle boxes and the the, the gift sets and the tools and stuff so we'll probably have a quiet like month you know without review stuff mm. to paint so mm. if the stars align and old world is out at the end of the year i want to have um one of those forces ready so i am um, i know you're you you've kind of been on, on the on the precipice day but you've not like, committed yet have you uh i i think i have well on the download this week uh i've actually bought on ebay a bretonian knight just a single Ooh. bretonian knight um, that i'm waiting to be delivered because i've increasingly been getting excited for bretonians um, and and you know what? I know you're going to mention it in the news, but I'm not just going to mention it now because, you know, nonconformatism and all that. Um, <laughs> we saw a Bretonian standard bearer on Warcom this week, which um, is going to be in the, the Warhammer preview on Saturday. Um, he looks incredible. What we've seen so far, I know it's only been a couple of models, but I really like it. And and even if, like, you know, we're, we're getting sort of just reboxed the, the original knights, I'm fine with that. Because yeah. I loved those back in the day, and I never had a Bretonian army. Well, I had the kind of had the beginnings of one, but it was back when really I didn't enjoy painting and all this. I and I never really truly. Now. You don't yeah. have to go over the top with heraldry and stuff. You can just do them block no. colours, and they look good, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I never really got into to fancy. But we're kind of bridging on what we're going to talk about in the main segment now. But needless to say, the excitement is building, and I'm happy to also confirm that it only seems to be the Bretonians. I'm not really interested in any of the factions at the moment even some of the older ones so hopefully it'll keep me streamlined well like, like with in, the heresy yeah well if they are in a launch box as well dave you might be in for some luck then and have a bretonian Ooh. army soon yeah oh but i see I've, i'm torn i kind of want to do all the bad guys 
I've got I've got a Age of Sigmar, um, you know, Warriors of Chaos, Slaves of Darkness, and Age of Sigmar army that I I'm just going to pop off their bases and put on squares. Okay. Pretty much. So um, they'll be cool. I've got enough goblins to put together a massive goblin army. Um, nice. If <laughs> in unrelated news, I think the next delivery of Stormbringer magazines delayed to reprint some kits because I think everyone with the same idea ordered like three or four copies of the goblin issue. Right. Which, you know, tw- twenty goblins for eight ninety nine, whatever it is, is a bargain. And yeah. I may have ordered quite a few of them. Um, <laughs> so yes, with goblins on the horizon. When obviously when you know the new orc kits come out, then I can add some orcs and chariots and stuff. Uh, I've also got the beginnings of an Age of Sigmar Beasts of Chaos army as well, which again is going to make the jump to the old world. And okay. I've got a uh, a dark elf army on Spruce, good to go as well. The only thing that's really been stopping me from putting this all together is the base situation. Yes, yeah. But um, Duncan Rhodes put together some Chaos Warriors on 30 mil bases. That looked really nice. So yeah. I've ordered a load of cheap, like, wooden bases. And mm. if they're the bright, bright size, base size, I'm brilliant. If they're the wrong, it's not that bad to then pop them off and put them on the correct bases. Yeah. So in between projects, I'm going to start see, building and spraying these up. See, I'm, I, I've been in the I've been in the opposite situation to that. Because I know you, got, you and Jay especially have been saying, what about ogres what about um vampire counts and i i know i will play fantasy at old world sorry calling by its old name um i know and i will i will, I will hopefully enjoy it but I, I i still i just have this feeling that i'm going to enjoy sigma more so when i think of like if i wanted to do because i did think about doing um chaos warriors like like mm-hmm. you're doing because i've always fancied um a slaves to darkness army but i can't help but feel that if I wanted, if I was going to paint one of those armies, I would want to do them for Age of Sigma because I think I'll get more use of them out of Age of Sigma. Well, there's nothing um, you're doing that and putting them in movement trays. That's true. That, yeah, that's that's very very true. That's that's definitely an option for me um, because I think I will still probably end up playing Age of Sigma more than fan, uh, Old World. Um, so, but you know, we'll we'll have to see. I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about the the Old World on on Saturday. Um, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, uh, got that to really look forward to, and, and obviously the next show. Um, I think that brings this opening segment of the show to a close. We've got plenty to get through, so we're going to take a slight pause and come back with this week's news. So, what do we have in this week's news map? Well, we've got a very um, heresy and, and specialist games themed news segment this week. So first of all, we've we've got quite a few releases coming for Legion's Imperialis. Do you remember Legion's Imperialis, that awesome looking game that was meant to come out like three months ago? That, that that I felt can't wait like it was for. on the Yeah, the pinnacle being released and then suddenly it got Snatched swiped away from us. us. So yeah, apparently there's some some issues with that, but they've still been bringing out the uh, the Heresy Thursday posts with new kits that are on the way, and there's some really cool stuff coming for it. So there's a Legion Fast Attack box which is coming out, which has got land speeders in it and javelins and bikes and jet bikes and you know I've got a big. Uh, white scars army this appeals to me i just need to order like four of them and make a you know big white scars <laughs> army with all the bikey stuff 
So, so that's really cool. But then they also showed that there's heresy scale drop pods come in. And what's really cool with them is that the doors work on them, even at that scale. No way. Yeah. It's very, very cool. You don't you don't glue the doors, they are hinged, and you can open them up. Teeny tiny drop pods that open. Nice. I like Which, that. Again, I like possibly my the coolest favorite, thing ever. Yeah, I think my favorite are those little ones are the um are the bikes, uh the outrider bikes and the jet bikes. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't wait for this game to come out. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel you're slowly coming around to uh, teeny tiny space means as well, Dave. I am. I am. Um, it's just fitting all this in, man. How, how do we do it? It is. It is. It is hard. The good thing is that an epic scale army is is way quicker to paint because they're only little and they don't need as much, you know, a, a detail on them because they're only small. So yeah, really exciting stuff. Now, um, on the you know, big version of Horus Heresy, we had some exciting news today with finally, after about a year and a half, the Demons of the Ruined Storm army list is finally out. Hey. I I have been looking forward to this since they uh, announced the, 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 the second edition of the game. And I'll put a little caveat on this. This is a very different army. In most of the battles during the Horus Heresy, it was Space Marines fighting Space Marines. Occasionally, Solar Auxilia or Mechanicum. The demons don't really turn up that much within the Horus Heresy, but the rules are here to allow you to field entire armies of demons. Uh, so with that in mind, these are designed for casual play, so playing with your friends, or um, narrative play, which you probably include narrative events. They're not designed for competitive play, but you know I'm sure if we ask really nicely, and we tend to play in the more kind of narrative events anyway, that I'm yeah. sure some events would allow their use, especially narrative events. Um, and yeah, these these are much toned down from the demons of the previous editions. So previously, demons d- didn't work at all like a normal army. They had to get summoned into the the battlefield. You set up portals that the demons would come out of or set mortal infantry units on the battlefield that the demons would birth out of. <laughs> uh, that's gone now. You just deploy them as normal. They're, they're, they're basically a normal army just with lots of cool options. What's really funky, though, is like with the previous edition, that you, you're given like general archetypes of demons. So you've got like a demon leader, a demon heavy choice, a demon lord of war, a demon core infantry unit. And then you can modify that with a number of different upgrades that then represent what we might know now as a as a, as a blood letter or a pink horror. Um, obviously, because these demons are so rare back then, that concept wasn't really known to the Imperium. So they're just yeah. various horrific demons. But that does mean I encourage you to do lots of conversions, use different models, you, you know, kit bash together models to create your demons. Or if you're an existing 40k demon army, it's very easy to translate that to um, Horus Heresy as well. So really excited to see if they bring out some kits to represent some of those. Uh, for example, there's an infantry unit of, de- you know, small demons with wings. That'd be a cool kit they could put out, like they've done the Demon Brutes. Yeah. There's a big demon, um, like, think a Siege Bloodthirster or something, a heavy slot demon, which is quite smashy. You know, they they might be able to bring out kits for this, or they might leave it just to the, the, you know, 
ingenuity of the uh, the horror heresy community to just create their own horrific abominations. So yeah, really, really excited to see that that is finally released, and hopefully, we're not far off the new army release for uh, Heresy as well. No, I, that's going to be very soon. Well, it's meant to be the summer, and we're, we're out of the summer now, but I think a few things, obviously, we mentioned Imperialis, I think a few things have shifted because of that, uh, and, and obviously the warehouse issues has led to a lot of things being two-week pre-orders at the minute, mm-hmm. but hopefully, hopefully we see a bit of a, a flurry of releases for the end of the year. Um, it, staying on the specialist games side as well, we've also seen a few new releases that may be... Uh, interesting to you dave <laughs> so there's a new um mind lock weird um choice so you can you can ally to the size syndicate and have these as basically hired guns that come along um awesome looking psychers for your games of necromunda and then um for your dalak gang as well and um, there's the cellophapod specters who I remember writing the review a couple of years ago now that they are so cool, um, but there's not been models for them. So there's a pack of three of these horrific robo octopus things. Uh, yeah, they, they look really, really cool. And then finally, you, you've you been tempted to do a Vansar um, gang. I have you? been very, very tempted. So um, there's been a couple of stuff. So, I can't remember if you you guys mentioned on the last show, but there's a, a new plastic version of the Vansar suit, mm-hmm. which was previously in resin, which looks amazing. It and really there's does. also an upgrade kit as well for the ash wastes, where they've got like rebreathers and, and equipment packs on them as well. Yeah, yeah, but there is a really good upgrade pack. I'm gonna have to just get a whole bunch of Vansar kits and amalgamate them together into a really cool looking warband. Yeah, they uh, we we need to get this Necromunda campaign back on the go again, Dave. Uh, also, book three is on the horizon too as well. So uh, yeah, very much looking forward to that. And finally, in the news, Dave. Finally, in the news, you alluded to it earlier. But on Saturday, it is Warhammer Day to celebrate forty years of Warhammer. Can you believe it? Born in nineteen eighty-three, a great year. <laughs> um, they showed off a Bretonian battle standard bearer on foot, which is a resin model from Forge World. Um, it looks gorgeous, doesn't it? It does. It looks really good. It's. I, I've seen some people like, "Ooh, where's his horse?" They are also releasing a battle standard bearer on horse as well. So whether you want your knights on horse or on foot, you have got battle standard bearers options. And I think. A lot of people, certain certain chunks of the internet have been, I think, maybe expecting that every, you know, old plastic kit's going to get replaced for this. I don't think that's the case. I think we we will certainly see some new plastic kits, but I think the bulk of kits are going to be old Warhammer Fantasy kits re-released because you know that gives you a way to get the army. With the the main stuff brought out by Forge World being characters in resin. Because a lot of the, the special characters that existed in Warhammer Fantasy aren't even born yet at the time of the old world because it's like 500 years before that storyline. So we'll have different characters. We'll have yeah. new special characters, new generic characters. Most of them, I suspect, from Forge World, but you never know. We've had plastic kits, you know, from the Specialist Game Studio for characters before. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe, you know, in the same way of the Horus Heresy, we get a couple of kits every quarter or so 
Yeah. Um, but I think the initial focus is really going to be bringing those old kits back and then a smattering of characters. And that's what we've seen so far on here. Now, we may see more of that, Dave, at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, Warhammer are doing another one of their awesome preview shows with a big focus on the old world. Uh, Warhammer 40,000, Age of Sigmar and Kill Team. So I'd say a quick round table, but there's only two of us. So back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think we're going to see? Uh, Dave, any ideas of what you think we'll see in this one? Uh, so I, th- I think if we start with the old world, I think we're definitely going to see a the well yeah i'm pretty confident we'll see the box the first box for that and maybe even a release window um for kill team i think we're probably due another big box uh with two new um kill teams and some new scenery 40k we're due the necrons and the adeptus mechanicus books so maybe we'll see a mini for both of those and maybe the covers of the codexes for sigma I don't know. I, d- I don't know. Oh, well, actually, we'll see the cover for the next Dawnbringers, won't we? Uh, and maybe a new character for that. Um, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, similar. I think the old world, I think we'll get some details for old world. I- I'd like to think that we see the launch box and, and when it's out. If if it's not, I'd like to see a rough like release date brought out and some kind of idea of what's coming out for it I, I, I really hope this is the one where they're like yep the old world's out in the next three months and here's the big box that's coming with it uh kill team well we know from the little teaser trailer that they're on an old our planet so my guess would be big box pitting the space marine scouts that aren't released yet against uh striking scorpions is the rumor mm, so that'd be scorpions. cool and that but jade be all over that box as for setting um, we mentioned it a while ago on the podcast, but I'd like to see the equivalent of the Gnarlwood for Kill Team. So we have Jungle Planet, and that is the the addition, new jungle trees and stuff. You, know, and you, have little, you have little bunkers and dugouts and stuff as part of that as well, couldn't you? That'd be really cool. And also, Think Predator Matt, on your gaming table. And also, Matt, you might be able to get new catachins that way. I, I know. That's, that's what I'm holding out for. If they do new catachins, I am starting a new yard army immediately. <laughs> so, yeah, for Sigmar, yeah, I think we'll see Dawnbringers 3 and the various kits that will come out for that. For the last few, we've had, what, four or so boxes come out for each set. So something like that. Um, we might even see the Flesh Eater Courts Battle Tome. And the new kits, oh. a new fleshy sprue has leaked on the internet not long ago. So I don't know if that's a replacement of a ghoul kit or a new unit, but I think we'll see some something ghoulish. Uh, and 40k, I think you're spot on. I think we'll see um, Mechanicus and Necron characters and the books and maybe some deets about them as well. So I think it's definitely going to be one to tune into. Mm, absolutely um, And I think Matt, does that round up this week's news? It does indeed, I'm, I'm excited Dave Excellent, I'm, I'm really excited for, for the show on Saturday and our podcast that will follow um, But we're, again, we're not too far ahead of ourselves Because we do have a segment all about Warhammer Fantasy coming up next So, can you believe that the game we all love, Warhammer Fantasy Battles, has been around for 40 years? <laughs> it's uh, Time flies when you're having fun. That's as long as we've been on the planet, Matt. That is, that is as long as that is 
depressingly so as long as i've been on the planet yeah so yeah sh- sh- share uh birth year with with warhammer which is pretty cool but uh, so i'm only i'm only a year behind you yeah well you know it's we're all getting depressingly old but that means we've lived through a lot of this uh this this warhammer this warhammer news so if we rewind the clock back a little bit in the 70s games workshop started um essentially as a, as a, as a reseller for, for Dungeons and Dragons and the like. So they sold games, hence Games Workshop, uh, role-playing games. And it, it got to the point where they were selling miniatures for role-playing games. So you could have a representation of your character on the on the table while you're playing D&D, which is really cool. Um, you know, there was various, all of Nottingham-based <laughs> miniature producers, one of which was Citadel Miniatures, that they, um, you know, created miniatures for, and they thought, oh, we've, we've got these little miniatures that we're selling, that you know, we're, we're, we're you know, putting out there. Can we create a mass battle game that people can then use our miniatures for, and then we're selling the the, the game and the miniatures to use for it? That was the that was the clever idea that was had back in 1983, and it's a fairly decent idea, isn't it? It is, and yeah. So, so back in 1983, uh, Warhammer, the mass combat fantasy role-playing game, was created by uh, Brian <laughs> Ansell, Richard Halliwell, and Rick Priestley. Uh, again, names that people will recognise. And it was a set of three black and white books. It was illustrated, and you had the kind of um, volume one which was like the core rules and the turn sequence and the creature list and stuff like that. Then you had a separate volume for magic. And then a final volume, which was about characters and role-playing and levelling things up. So obviously this was a, a very different game than what we've got today. I think the core DNA was in there, but at its heart, I think basically Games Workshop wanted to make their own D&D, but with bigger battles, with miniatures that they could uh, sell. It's a good idea. It's a good concept. Yeah, it's a really good idea. It's a really good idea. And, and and reviews said that the the RPG bit was a bit weak, but the the war game part was really really good. And we'll mm-hmm. see, well, you know, obviously we've seen that the you know the, the role playing parts kind of all but disappeared, hasn't it? And we've kind of gone into the, the the more the battle side. But I think obviously their core audience were role players, so that's obviously why they did it. Fast forward the following year to 1984, and the second edition came out. Uh, full colour this time with artwork by a guy by the name of John Blanche. Oh, well, that's a household yeah. name now. And this basically, um, you know, the, it, it fixed some bits that were a bit ropey for the first edition. And um, it, it had some, you know, clarifications in there. There was new rules in there, such as standard bearers did stuff. Musicians did stuff. Units could fly. There was artillery. There was chariots. There were specialist spellcasters. Again, getting closer and closer to what we play now. Um, and it also discovered the known world, a, a fantasy version of Earth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so so pretty cool. But again, still kind of the, the the basics things got a little bit more familiar in 1987 when the third um edition of the game was released this time it was one single book and it was accompanied by a separate book called warhammer armies now this book had various army lists in there 
for um, all the various forces that you could have in the game. Up until that point, that wasn't really a concept, but they had a separate book with all these different armies in there. And that was cool. If you wanted to do a goblin army, you'd, you'd also be in there. If you want to do an empire army, they'd be in there. And again, we're getting closer to what we recognise as Warhammer now. This was an important one as well, because towards the end of that edition, um, two books were released. Realm of Chaos, Slaves to Darkness, and Realm of Chaos, Lost and the Damned. So this introduced the four Chaos Gods, and I think really the start of the the, the law that we recognise today. Uh, it, coincidentally, if you're interested in those books, Warhammer World often sell um, reprints of the two Realm of Chaos books. Have you ever read those, Dave? Never read them. You've never read them, so we've got the 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 like the 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 little nuggets of info that turned into the Horus Heresy. Obviously, all the original ideas for the the Chaos Gods and stuff. So yeah, it is interesting to have a look down. Obviously, it's it's dated, and these are books from the late eighties. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's really worth kind of exploring if you are into into those kind of things. So then we come into the nineties, and what I think is the I guess the, the the modern incarnation of the game. Now, a lot of listeners, and maybe even you, Dave, certainly Jay, <laughs> will, will recognise. So, in 1990, oh, you know what? I'm going to throw in a little a little quiz here as well. Now, oh, I was yeah. hoping that Jay would be on as well for you know some different answers. But can you name or what, what do you think are the two most common armies in Warhammer? Um, kind of launch boxes army boxes you know the uh edition boxes starter boxes whatever you want to call them the big box that contained the rule book and two armies in what two armies do you think of all the armies in warhammer were the most represented i'm we'll gonna say i'm gonna say the, the my first answer will be the empire or, or humans mm-hmm. and i'm going to say orcs empire and orcs are you locking those in yeah okay so fourth edition kind of heralded the arrival of what we will recognize as a warhammer starter box a big box containing the rules and two armies in the box which is really really cool um the fourth edition one which came out in october 1992 what's that (laughs) <laughs> a, a long 30 31 years ago something like that 32 years ago a long time ago um but i remember this one do you ever play this one with the with the elves versus goblins don't think so no so this was a glorious box and it was a box that many people who, who played it at the time will know um drew its tithe for corn Many hands were punctured by the contents of this box. <laughs> um, it contained 20 elf spearmen, 20 elf archers, 32 goblin spearmen, and 32 goblin archers. So it's quite big forces, really, isn't it? Yeah. In addition to that, you've got card scenery, so you've got a load of buildings, and you also got card heroes and artillery. The, the, the cardboard dreadnought from 2nd edition 40k often gets some stick. But I believe this box did it first with a, a, a cardboard elf prints on griffin, cardboard, um, I forget what they're called now, the artillery pieces for the high elves, bolt throwers. Bolt throwers. Um, a cardboard orc chariot 
and I think there was a um, a wyvern in there as well. But yeah, basically they were they were card like units used to represent the heroes and stuff that you could later then you know replace with actual miniatures from Games Workshop. Mm. Uh, and this was the first like proper um, I guess launch box would call them nowadays. And here's where the game became more like I guess the Warhammer that we recognise now. The concept of the big Warhammer armies tome was gone and instead each army would get an army book released starting with the empire in january 93 running through to the wood elves in may 96 so every couple of months uh, an army book would come out and alongside it, there'd be miniatures for that race so very much what we you know expect now we Ooh. also got a new magic system as well so rather than picking your spells um you would get you would randomly generate spells for all your characters using a deck of cards and then the magic system used a deck of cards you would draw cards and they'd have different values and abilities on them and then you would spend those cards to cast spells and stop spells and it was a really good system if you kind of think like a game within a game so think uh, magic the gathering way more basic but think magic the gathering where you've got maybe um different power cards you might have a, a one power card or a three power card and you'd use them to fuel the different spells that you've got equally in the deck there was dispel cards that could stop the spells so nice. it'd be a game of like you know do you cast that spell now or do you keep hold of these spells because you might need them later on really really clever system so yeah so, so then that kind of led into the um fifth edition of Warhammer, which came out in October 1996. <laughs> and that is, again, what a lot of people will, will think is the quintessential Warhammer in the box was Bretonians versus Lizardmen. You must remember this one, Dave. Uh, only vaguely, Matt, to be honest. Only very, very vaguely. Oh, I remember buying this from Argos for like <laughs> 40 quid, I think it was. <laughs> and this was... Um, this was this was what this is kind of where I got into the game. A friend of mine had fourth edition and I played with the elves and the goblins before, but the first one that I bought was this fifth edition box with the Bretonians on the cover fighting the lizard men. And this was is often in dubbed as Hero Hammer to uh, you know by, by the community because it was all about those heroes. Your, your big characters on there, big dragons and griffins and stuff, and your spellcasters. It would be them that kind of decide the games. They were the really powerful units, and all the infantry was just cannon fodder, really. And you know, some people really like that playstyle. Some people missed the importance of having units. Um, mm. I mean, where do you sit on that? I mean, that's something we see in, in Age of Sigma now. Where do you sit on that? Are you kind of like a believer that? Big characters should be the centerpiece, and they're they're all important. Or you've got the tactical movement of troops, or somewhere in the middle. I I think for fantasy, um, it makes sense for the importance to be on the sort of big blocks of troops. With yeah, a, a killer hero, yeah, very very cool. But um, it, it always felt like more about your blocks of troops rather than heroes. Whereas Age of Sigmar, I think, is slightly different. Yeah, well, in, in the 5th edition, it was all about those characters. So your wood elf on a dragon would just decimate anything above it. And it pretty much come down to who'd kill who in the heroes. Uh, the magic system was, um, you know, re refined a little bit. It's still card-based, though. And following the same pattern as the um, Dark Imperium box for 40k, 
the Magic was a separate product that you'd buy. So you'd buy the core game with the Bretonians and the Lizardmen in, then you'd buy a separate box for Magic, and that would contain all the Magic rules for every race in the game and all the cards that you'd need. In that box as well was your Magic items, which were card-based as well. So, I mean, they've kind of moved away from that physical props bit of, um, you know, Warhammer. But I quite liked having these physical magic cards that you'd you'd have to kind of manage in order to cast your spells. That's something that was kind of like taken out of the game, you know, later on. In this edition as well, we saw a few things come for the first time as well. So we had Warhammer Siege, which was a supplement that let you do awesome siege battles with a really cool plastic castle that I, I've kind of wished they still sold, or at least did a more up-to-date one. You, you've you got a piece of this old Warhammer castle, haven't you, Dave? I I used to. Uh, yes, I've got one scenery piece which is made up a part of this. I did at one point have the gate and a couple of towers as well, but I, sadly I no longer have those. But I do still have um, some of them I got off eBay really, really cheap. Uh, they like converted part of it uh, into like a, a building, um, which is very, very cool. So in this one, we also got a few new factions that we'd not seen before as well. So the Dogs of War got their army book here as well, and they were they were super popular. Did you ever um, see any of the Dogs of War stuff, Dave? I did. I did. I think um, it was it was before I started playing. Um, I don't know how, how did I originally see them. I don't know if I saw one of Jay's issues of White Dwarf or something. But the ones I always remember, whenever you mention or Jay mentions Dogs of War, I always remember the Birdmen. Yes. They, they they are always the first ones that come to my head. I think they were the first ones I saw in a magazine. This was the period where that, that um, Dogs of War book came out, and I would love to see them come back for the old world. Because yeah. it was such a good idea where, you know, obviously... There were mercenary units that you could take in any army, but you could field them as an army themselves. And I just think that was really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, we saw some um, cool stuff as well, like the Realm of Chaos box as well. So rather than separate army books for demons and warriors and beastmen, it was all contained in one big box that had all the cards and stuff that you needed as well, which was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now... That ran up until June 1999, when the Vampire book, uh, the Vampire Counts book came out for the game. Um, that was fairly short-lived, because not long after the sixth edition came out, so October 2000, uh, the sixth edition of the game burst out onto the scene. We didn't mention what was in the in the box, actually. So the Bretonian versus Lisbon box had 12 Bretonian knights, Dave, 24 <laughs> Bretonian bowmen, 32 oh, wow. skinks, and 20 Saurus warriors. And again, it had card scenery and all the rule books and all the cards. And I really liked boxes like that. I don't know about you. Yeah. No, I, plenty of contents there. Yeah, no, I like that. So fast forward into 2000, October 2000, which again is depressingly... 23 years ago and the sixth edition of the game came out and again i'm not sure when you you came on the scene but this might have been the one for you dave um for the first time the the box contained a hardback book where previously it all been paperback ones and the in the box were orcs versus empire and they were uh, all multi-part kits so you got the hardback book 
you got an orc war boss, 35 orcs that can be built with bows or melee weapons and an orc chariot, fighting off against an empire general, an empire cannon, and 38 empire soldiers, which again could be built with a, a variety of weaponry. And again, it had card terrain in there. Do you remember this one? I remember it, but this isn't, again, this isn't where I jumped on. Oh, you 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 were late joiner to uh to very Wonder late, then. very late. So this was a full reset of the game. Um, they realised that the the Hero Hammer days, like you said earlier, the the game should really be built around those units. You know, heroes were still powerful, but they couldn't win games alone anymore. They needed some support. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so with this, every single book apart from the um. The Dogs of War was re-released. So we had books for all the factions. We had the Tomb Kings introduced here. We had the Ogre Kingdoms introduced here. And this, uh, I really enjoyed this edition of the game. It's one of my least favourite starter box. But the fact that we had um, a six-year period and all the books got released for every faction, I, I think it was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, lots of the factions for the later editions still used books from this edition oh wow so bretonia for example their final book was in sixth edition so yeah we then got a shift big style with the seventh edition and the battle for skull pass here we go so is this where you jumped in dave this is where i jumped in well it was dwarfs versus goblins and it came out september 2006 uh, to keep costs down the uh, the rule book was a small format paperback and Mm -hmm. all the models were push fit but oh what models you got so you got 40 goblin spearmen 20 goblin archers 10 spider riders a big boss a shaman a troll 12 dwarf warriors 10 dwarf thunderers 8 miners a cannon a thane a dragon slayer and some plastic terrain, including a pony. Yeah, I I still have that pony. You know, it's do still in my box pony, of random screws. Yeah. I do. Yeah, the rending pony, as I think the internet called it. Do you know <laughs> how much that box was, Dave? I'm going to take a guess at how much that box was. Sixty quid. Forty pounds. <sighs> Forty. We had it. Pounds. We had it so good. Yeah. Well, at the time, um, forty goblins would cost. I think more than that. I think it was about sixty quid for the two for the for the, for the goblins in the box. So obviously they're push fit and they were less detailed, but they were really good. I I bought a couple of those boxes to pad out my uh, my goblin army at the time. <laughs> and again, this was kind of a refinement of the previous edition. Um, again, we had quite a few books come out for this one. Um, again, the Bretonians never got anything. The the Tomb Kings never got anything. The ogres didn't get anything in this edition, so a lot of them were, um, you know, replaced when each edition came around. But we also got the final books for the beastmen in the Skaven in this edition. So the final Skaven book was a seventh edition book. The final beastmen book was a seventh edition book, and um, because it was, while sixth edition was the big reset, seventh edition was still kind of like built on the same DNA, and we saw right. that for a, for a couple of editions. Um, moving into the most recent edition of the game, 8th edition, uh, which came out July 2010 with the equally awesome Isle of Blood set. 
So this was a really good box. You got 10 Lothran Seaguard in there, 10 Swordmasters, 5 Illyrian Reavers, a Mage and a Prince on Griffin facing off against a Skaven Warlord, an Engineer, 40 Clan Rats, a Master Molder, Rat Ogres and Weapon Teams. And I think the Weapon Teams and Rat Ogres are still better than some of the metal ones that are still available oh, now to Skaven. 100%. 100%. I, I, th- these... I don't know why we didn't see some of these get released separately. Same with the um because I don't think we ever got Lothar and Seaguard as a separate release. Well, because it, these were all push fit kits, they they were on like single sprues, weren't they, rather than being separate mm. kits in the box. Yeah. They did actually re-release this a couple of times. Even in Age of Sigma, this box was re-released with round yeah. bases and some square bases. But yeah, we never saw the, the, them come out as separate kits. And they've kind of pivoted away from that now, haven't they, in the modern games where the kits that they intend to really separately run their own sprue rather than more ahead. Obviously, it's cheaper, isn't it? There's less sprues to produce because they're all mixed together on one sprue where now they kind of use mini sprues because they know that they can just separate that and sell it separately. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're a lot more savvy to that now. Um, you mentioned about how many times Island Blood got re-released and I still managed to miss it every single time. I you think never it was got before Island Blood? I decided, never got it. Well... Did I get it? I did have some high F models at one point. Did I buy the box myself? I can't remember. But I did have a, a high elf army for a time. But I only got into the Skaven much, much. I always fancied getting an army of them, but it was way into Age of Sigma before I got them. And like you say, Island of Blood had been re-released three or three or four times and never managed to get it. Yeah, it's um, and this is the eighth edition. To what a lot of people will, you know. If you say Warhammer, that's what they think. They added the Horde rule. So if units were 10 models wide, an extra rank could fight. Some people saw that as a cynical move to buy more kits because really you'd need to buy, you know, (laughs) between two and four boxes to make a a decent sized unit. You couldn't really just get away with a a single box because it wouldn't have enough bodies to make those big Horde units. But we had lots of fun with this one. Like I say, most armies got books produced for them with a few notable exceptions there was never a bretonia book there was never a skaven book there was never a beastmen book and this the dogs war haven't seen a book since like fifth edition no this this is the version that uh, and you say late to the to the game matt i didn't really start playing warhammer fantasy until this edition um, really? I although i had some dwarfs from the previous edition I don't think I had many games of that at all. In fact, I could probably count it on one hand. When did um, you, this might be coming up in your timeline? When did we see Triumph and Treachery? So well, it's coming up in my timeline, Dave. So, Eighth um, Edition came out two thousand ten. Triumph and Treachery came out in two thousand thirteen. Actually, right. ran for five years. Eighth Edition. Wow. Yeah, and... you wouldn't get that nowadays, would you? Well, I don't know. We got 12 army books, but I think we got about 20 expansions for it. Right. There was so much stuff. So uh, the first one was Storm of Magic, which built on magic and monsters. And I believe there was also some Age of Sigmar scenery hidden away in that book. Um, <laughs> we saw Tamerkin, the Throne of Chaos, which was the big Forge World book, well, Warhammer Forge at the time, which added Tamerkin. And the Chaos Dwarfs. We got mm-hmm. Blood in the Badlands, which was a campaign expansion that had siege rules. We had Monstrous Arcanum, which was rules mm-hmm. for all the Warhammer Forge models. Uh, we saw Civil War. We saw various Battlefield books, uh, which were campaign expansions. Triumph and Treachery was the big one. That was games for between three and five players. 
and possibly the most fun I've had with a Games Workshop game. Um, you know what, Matt? I'm not, you know, as little of Warhammer Fantasy as I played, they were the games for me that I, I we had so much fun playing Triumph and Treachery. We and that, exclusively played Triumph and Treachery, we, didn't we? We did. And you know, you know what? I would love to see them do an expansion in the same vein as this. It wasn't just a book, Matt. It didn't just come with some push-out tokens. This was a beautiful bound box that you had your book in it. You had lots of little token, like proper physical tokens. You had, I think you had decks of cards in there. It was a proper, proper expansion pack. So the main mechanic was that you got like cash, didn't you, that you could use to pay off people and do bribes and stuff. These were little cut the card but they were decent card stock coins in a velvet bag mm. so yeah it was so good it was so good i've still got it and it doesn't take too much work to adapt like the current games to it and um, mm. obviously when when the old book comes out i really hope they do a proper box triumph I, I, you know what my dream would be triumph and treachery events at warhammer world where you've got multiple players on on the same table, yeah, that'd or be an Age of Sigmar Triumph and Treachery, heavily based on the original. Yeah, we've had we've, we've had stuff in General's handbooks with the name Triumph and Treachery, but it's not the the, the Triumph and Treachery all loving now, is it? No, it's um, not. So yes, yeah, so a load of expansions, and then the big deal was in August two thousand fourteen, we got the first of five massive expansions, the End Times. Starting with Nagash, then going through Glockin, Kane, Thankful, and Archeon. This basically over the course of uh, we see it now, don't we, with the end of edition stuff like um, you know we've got the um, the, the the current um, Dawnbringers stuff for Age of Sigmar, but this was a big deal because it was essentially the storyline of the end of Warhammer, and I mm. think it, it, <laughs> from book one it was like. This is the end of the world. I don't think people actually believe this until Age of Sigma had been out a couple of months. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people you're right. In the world blowing people up. in denial. People in denial. Yeah, there'll be a proper edition of Warhammer coming out after this. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. That was it. What were your thoughts on the end times, Dave? I loved it. I, I, they were some of the best narrative books Games Workshop have ever put out. Um, they were, and, and not only that, but they were. They were top quality as well. Like I remember those artwork on the front of those books were iconic. Um, and some of the models that we saw as part of that as well, which which seemed bonkers considering the end of the world. Um, but we got the Glockkin just before it. I think Archeon got his model not long that bef- not long before the end so of that Arche- series. Archeon got his model in, in Age of Sigma. So in that series, we got the new Thanquil model. We got the new um, Cauldron of Blood for the uh the dark elves at the time we got um the glock king like you said alongside them with the blight kings and uh, uh, obviously we got nagash as well yeah um so, so really cool stuff yeah uh, still some of the best books to just read uh, in my opinion well, it was really nice for them as well they were all like hard slip cases with a, an, a kind of like law volume and then a rules volume in them as well yeah yeah the, the one I particularly liked, because I liked the idea of doing it, but I never really had chance to do it, was in the Kane book, where, you know, the, the elves were an absolute mess, weren't they? They, they, were, they were in bits. Um, and you could, you could form a, a big elf army with, 
bits from the dark elves, bits from the high elves, bits of the wood elves. Yeah, it like the matter. unified elf army. It was really, really cool. All uniting under, um, uh, what's his name? Tyrion. Tyrion. Who would at that point become like the avatar of Cain? <laughs> it, was, it was so cool. It was so cool. And I, I loved that. And it kind of, we, we knew the end was coming, but it, it, they, they literally destroyed the world at the end of the book. Yeah. It's, it's so good. And then obviously, then we got the uh, we got um, Age of Sigma following it. And that was it for Warhammer Fantasy. What a ride it had been. Hmm. Um, have you got any like particular? I know you came late to the party, but have you got any, um, you know, particular Warhammer memories you want to talk about? Um, like I say, I came into it late. I, I came into it with the dwarfs uh, in the edition before the the, the last one. Um, I think for me, I couldn't get into the the rank and file nature of the game. Um, I'd been playing forty k for a little while. Uh, and that was far more my style. I preferred sci-fi. I preferred the more, I suppose you would call it now, skirmish nature, um, moving your units around. I couldn't really get on with, like, wheeling your units and ranking up. And I, I used to find it really annoying that you had to build your models in such a way that they'd all stand next to each other yeah. on those bases. That drove me a bit bonkers. You needed quite big armies as well. You pointed out the horde rule. Um so it never really appealed, but I did absolutely love those Triumph and Treachery games that we had. Um, I got my moniker Treacherous Dave from Treacherous from playing Dave. those because I was notorious at stabbing Jay in the back. Um, no, even double crossing. There was triple crossing every there was, day. Oh, there was multiple crossings, and um, but nobody ever learned. I mean, they even called me Treacherous Dave, and then they would still strike some sort of deal with me and I'm, but the know. best thing with triumph and treachery desperate times were like nine out of ten times weren't they absolutely. you had to make these desperate alliances absolutely. knowing well that you were going to get absolutely stabbed in the back yeah i think i think the dave now with all the hobby experience i've had would enjoy it a lot more which is why i'm allowing myself to start getting excited for the old world because i think i will understand I don't know. Maybe it wasn't understanding the rules thing. Maybe, maybe I, I didn't give it enough time to really understand it. But I think I'm ready for those rank and file games now, Matt. Um, I've got to ask a question, and, and you might know the answer to this. But obviously, Sigma came after Fancy, so you know they must have wanted to kind of change the game system and stuff. What, what, why? What do you think Games Workshop would? We're thinking killing off the old world and in, in, in reinventing it in Age of Sigmar. What do you what from your you know your experience? You've been into the been in the hobby a lot longer than I have. What do you feel drove that change? I believe I know the answer, Dave. Um, I don't think it was making enough money to the point where Space Marines and Chaos Black Paint was making more money than the entire Warhammer Fantasy range. See, the problem was. Wow. Uh, 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 people even with the horde rule and stuff people weren't buying new units to add to their armies and they weren't really buying different armies as well people over the last like sixth seventh eighth edition of the game had kept the same army and when a new book comes out they might buy a new unit or when the horde rule came out they might buy a new box to to expand a um a unit mm. but they it, 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 people didn't buy new stuff to add their armies really 
you'd get, you know, uh, people new to the game would buy a whole army, but existing players wouldn't continually add. In 40k in the current game, because the way missions were a lot more different, you need a variety of units. And we see it in Age of Sigmar, where every six months a different book comes out, which really changes the way, you know, you, you win games of Age of Sigmar on like a competitive level. Yeah. With that, people are more likely to, every six months, buy some new units to put into their army. It's the Magic the Gathering approach where, you know, you, you're always buying the latest pack to, to keep competitive. And I think 40k had that more than Warhammer Fantasy where people had their dusty old armies that they didn't really add to. So because of that, even though there was amazing models coming out, people would be less likely to, you know, who had a massive Bretonian army, because it was so expensive to put together, they wouldn't really pick up a brand new army on a whim. Right, right. You know, I, you think about it now, a, a 2,000 point Age of Sigmar army is less money than a Warhammer Fantasy army really but you know back in the day and I, I i have a lot of armies but for fantasy i had less because you had to invest a lot more into getting those big horde units into getting yeah. the you know if you think empire for example a, a horde empire unit you'd need like four boxes of great swords which yeah, is that's, a, a that's lot a of money. Outlay. that's like that's like about 120 pounds for a single unit yeah that's a Where big outlay you could get an almost an army for that using like start collecting boxes and stuff. And I think that was the problem because it was so expensive to, to get into people would be less likely to spend more money on jumping into other kind of armies and, and massively mm. expanding their own. And I, I believe that's why it got to the point where, you know, black paint without selling it. I, I was, I was wondering if, if, if another reason, um, well, that, that sounds like it probably was a reason, but was, they'd almost given themselves a limitation with the old world like where could they go from that i mean from sigma when obviously that we learned about the mortal realms and all the different kind of uh, you know the realms and um the things like that in the realm gates and stuff it left them wide open with bringing new races and stuff in and um having different campaigns like we've seen with you know, like the gnarlwood and stuff um, if that kind of played a little bit of a part, or maybe they just learned from the old world not to limit themselves too much into to kind of an old school map and give yeah. themselves lots of growing space, as it were. So, so while the, the reason the game died is because it wasn't selling enough, um, I think when they were creating Age of Sigmar, they wanted to make sure that A, a lot of people joke about, you know, ogres and elves being spelt differently, but Warhammer Fantasy was very much a take on like history blended with you know fantasy tropes tolkien kind of style stuff elves mm. and orcs and dwarves and all that kind of stuff which they didn't own the you know they didn't own those concepts it was towards the end of warhammer fantasy there was a big um ch- chapter house i think they were called court case where there was third parties basically making <laughs> gw kind of copyrighted stuff but because those concepts were so wide i'm sure the court ruled in favor of well you can't really copyright an no. elf and elf and elf yeah. uh, big ribbly monster big ribbly monster and, and back in those days army books would very often have lots of units that they were going to produce in the future but they might never make but they left mm. the door open to do it because the concept was an army book would come out and that would last the edition when now we've got a, there's more chance of there being multiple books for an army over the life of an edition because that book will only have models that exist in model form today 
Yeah. Even if there's a new kill team coming out in three months' time, and that's you know that has caused frustrations, hasn't it? Yeah. That, yeah. That, that book contains kit. You can buy that book, and every single unit in that book you can buy from your local games workshop. And and I think that's another thing that they've changed with as well. They they've got this new Age of Sigmar universe where everything's fresh and and created, and they've left plenty of doors open and plenty of threads set up. To, to go down there might be some story threads that they never explore but they're there hanging in case they need them in the future where yeah. the old world we, you, because you had a limited kind of period of time and it was all it was it, you know it's, it's basically medieval the world isn't it with monsters in you've not got the freedom that you've got in age of sigma to make up some of the really wacky stuff and that you know the the, the broken realm series the dawnbringers the, the the wacky out there stuff is what's been really really good in the storyline yes. for age of sigma yeah. hasn't it you yeah. know, it took a few years to get there you know the initial releases were all stormcast and and um corn and i think people did grow tired of that but then they quickly learned their lesson and have crafted an amazing universe with loads of potential haven't they it was it was so different to fantasy, wasn't it? Sigma when it came out, it, it was they were absolutely light years apart. Uh, and like you say, it took some time for Age of Sigma to to find its feet and you know to become the game that it is today. You mentioned the Broken Realm series. I think that's the first time we'd seen a narrative that was on par with, say, the End Times. Um, so yeah, I mean, personally, I you know I, I'm really into Age of Sigma, um, but I am still really looking forward to the to the old world. I have to ask Matt. Obviously, you you played you you played Warhammer Fantasy through most of the the sort of editions. What was your favorite edition? Uh, see, I've I've got mixed feelings. Eighth, I really really enjoyed because I've got memories of playing with you guys. I think mm-hmm. the you know the final edition of the game the, the game had matured at that point yeah there were some things you know that were cynically we could say it was just a sound model like the horde rule but and, and you know um, the I really enjoyed the magic system of, of fifth edition where you had the physical cards by the time yeah. we got to eighth edition and you could just roll six dice and chances are you'd get irresistible force and the spell would go off just got a little bit silly didn't they I remember yeah. just marching my keeper secrets straight up the board. And six dice in cacophonic choir to just basically <laughs> drop a nuke and kill everything around it. Which I like the. I like really the idea. To that either was there. No, I like the idea of having card spells on cards. That feels very traditional to me. That 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 sounds really cool. Yeah, I, I've got a feeling. So we we know that the old world is going to be a kind of a best of. Warhammer. They're going to take the designers are going to take their favourite parts of all the editions and craft something that is its own thing. In the same way that the second edition of Horus Heresy isn't just the first edition with a lick of paint. They've changed things and they've tweaked things to make it. You know, some things may not have got right entirely, but I think with the with the old world we're going to see the same. I, I, I think they're going to be very conscious to make powerful not as game changing as it has been in some editions. Yeah. Fifth edition magic was very powerful. Eighth edition magic was very powerful, and I think they'll tone it down. I hope they don't dilute it to the point where it's just like a passive buff, or right. basically a, a weapon with a different name, like it is in in Horus Heresy. I think magic still there should still be an element of spell casting and you kind of using the winds of magic. And I, I'll be a little bit disappointed if it's just like 
this wizard gives units nearby a ward save and it's on all the time or this wizard's got a ranged attack which is a fire and a fireball but it's basically just a ranged attack mm-hmm. i think i'd be a little bit disappointed with that i'd still like them to have to like cast the spells and then a wizard on the other yeah. side being able to shut that down yeah i agree. We don't know the details yet um i think that we're going to see a move away from the every unit needs to be a horde because they just look big and clunky on the battlefield i quite like little blocks of like 20 to 30 models wheeling around and stuff rather than giant like conga lines of troops <laughs> yeah yeah um, i agree so so yeah i'm really looking for hopefully on saturday we, we get some more details but i'm i'm really looking forward to the hard bit is picking what armies to use another thing we're not talking about as well obviously through all these editions we've seen some editions where every army's got a book somewhere there's only been a few books really now we know for the old world that the initial focus is going to be on empire high elves wood elves dwarfs um beastmen chaos warriors tomb kings bretonians uh orcs and goblins I think that's Ooh. all the factions. But obviously, yeah. there's some noticeable people that aren't included. Their demons aren't around. Dark elves aren't around. There's no ogres. There's no vampire Vampires, counts. Vampires, no. What, uh, no skaven. Now, they are going to produce rules for them, so people can use their existing armies, but they're not going to be the initial focus. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think... <laughs> I think they had to, didn't they? I I, I think it would have been... How do I how do I explain this? They don't they they kind of hope obviously this is going to really take off. It seems to have a lot of people that are super interested, but the proof's going to be when it's released, isn't it? And yeah. I think if uh, they didn't want to they didn't want to commit to too many races at launch. I mean, they're absolutely making the right decision giving every Warhammer Fantasy Army rules, um, so that anybody can just get involved and play, um. You know, if you're a big fan of the Vampire Counts, for example, you'd be very disappointed that they're not one of the races. But I think they had to. I think they had to limit the number they were coming back with at launch. Look, if it takes off and everybody loves it and it becomes, you know, uh, what we would kind of call a flagship game for them. So you got, you know, next to Sigmar and 40k, then we'll we'll probably see those races again in the future. Yeah, I I think it's... Obviously, they've got it's specialist game studio as well, so essentially it's under Forge World, doesn't it? They've got limited resources, they can't put out kits for every single race, so they've made the decision what do we think is going to sell the most? Because essentially, because essentially, that's what they're trying to do make money. The worst case scenario is that it has the same fate of Warhammer 9th edition, where a load of old time people come back with their armies and don't buy any new models. The money, the game doesn't make any money and it suffers the same fate again. They don't want to see that, do they? No. So they have a limited pool of armies, which are going to get new plastics, they're going to get new resin kits. And if that does well, they then, you know, the next year, they have another source book that comes out that features the other factions and they slowly bring them back. There's also, a, a, I guess, a limit in production capacity as well i know they've been churning out stuff from the the new factories but they've also had you know some warehouse issues haven't they mm-hmm. adding all of those models back you know think how many models there were in warhammer fantasy on top of all the stuff that's already been produced that's a lot of kits isn't it yeah it is it is i i, I think a large part of it is expecting um, is 
is managing expectations. Say say they said, okay, yeah, we're going to do every single race of Warhammer Fantasy. I'm sat here thinking, yes, vampire counts. Can't wait until I get my new plastic vampires or whatever, classic vampires. I could be waiting forever, for, you know, for all for them to get through all those, through those armies. So at least, you know, yeah, I think they've made absolutely the right call. We've also seen something interesting over the last few years as well with Asia Sigmar. The Cities of Sigmar book has taken out essentially all of those old Empire kits. The, the 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 kits that are still in the new book are like the Dark Elves who aren't being supported in the initial wave. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if when the next Cities of Sigmar book comes out, we then see those rotate out, go back into the old world, and then there's new Age of Sigmarified elves as part of the Cities of Sigmar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, for example, the, the Beastmen ha- didn't really get many new kits. Well, they got a single model, didn't they? But we know that they're going to be supported in the old world. So could we see new gores, new center gores and stuff come out as part of an old world release that then cross pollinates into Major Sigmar? Yeah. Skaven. Skaven are rumored to be the um, the adversary in the next edition of the game. So do we finally see all of the old Skaven kits get retired and we get something a bit more sci-fi and, you know, Age of Sigmar, lots of, all the kind of weird mad scientist stuff. Imagine like clan rats with like power generators on their back and, you know, all the wacky stuff. It, it lets them do a new take on what a Skaven looks like in Age of Sigmar. And again, all those old kits then go into the stable to be used in the old world. Yeah. Yeah. I could see them doing that. So, yeah, you know, to drive more sales. But obviously, this is, this is probably going to be like a five, ten year kind of arc they're thinking out. So, I, I think in the long term, if it's successful, and that's the key, I think we'll get all the races. Like I say, the proof in the pudding. If it doesn't sell well, then we'll get this initial release and then probably a slow drip of stuff. But hopefully, hopefully it does well. I mean, going just going by what I see in the community and you know the response to our top freeze and stuff, I, I think the interest is definitely there. Um, they've just got to get it right with this first wave to to really get people on board. I think I think it's going to do well, but you know we'll see, we'll see, won't we? Uh, yeah, I think that if they somehow fumble the release, then unfortunately I think that will sour it for a lot of people. So I, I and I think they'll be conscious of that too. That you know they need to put out a, a, a decent release with a big bang, and that's maybe the reason why I know people have been disappointed at previews and stuff. But we haven't seen that big box yet. Everything needs to be in the right place at the right time for them to do this launch. And, you know, maybe Legion's Imperialis has affected that because that is another Mm. specialist game release. And they don't want two games dropping at the same time because that splits where people are spending money. So Mm -hmm. if, I guess, ultimately, if the result of the Imperialis delay means that the old world actually is coming out next year, you know what, that's not necessarily a bad thing because I'd rather them do the launch well and it be successful rather than try and release too much stuff in a short space of time and it just, you know, splits attention. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. Could you imagine, like, if they release the bo- the, the big box but then everybody has to wait till next year to get their rules? That'd be annoying, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be. But, but I could see them doing a made-to-order or something for the 40th anniversary and maybe even dropping that free PDF to get people excited about it and yeah. then dropping the new stuff in the new year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
plenty to look forward to and um i'm really looking forward to my little bretonian knight to arrive so i can get him <laughs> sprayed up and, and get some colors on him um yeah looking forward to my, the mounted bretonian army of my dreams from when i was a a teenager i'll be i'll be a lot of fun uh, thanks matt for for that dive back into history and um, we're gonna actually stay with fantasy for the next segment because it is time for our top three and that is coming up next And so it is time to move on to this week's top three. And of course, we're going to be checking out our top three Warhammer fantasy models. Now, they may not be here in person, but Andy and Jay are here in spirit and they've both submitted their top threes for us. So we're actually going to start with Jay. It's it's a real shame Jay's not on this. Well, both of them really, because we were both big fantasy players. But Jay especially has had the old world bug recently, hasn't he? He really um, has. He's, he's very excited about the game. And I'm sure when he's next on the show, he'll be uh, literally buzzing with excitement. Absolutely. So let's read out Jay's top three. For his third choice, he's gone for the Dragon Princes of Kalidor. They were they were incredible models. I had some myself for a time. Um, they were very, very cool. His second choice is Elfarion the Blind. Now, I know which one Jay's referring to here. It's the one where he's on foot um, and he's kind of got his sword in a very, what I would call sort of almost traditional Japanese pose where he's kind of pointing yeah. it downwards and he's like leaning backwards. Um, it's a very, very cool model. I think I've got it somewhere. I keep teasing Jay by saying I've got it somewhere. I know I have. I just need to dig it out. Um, and his top choice is the... I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Juan Diaz, Dwarf Lord Thane with Axe, one of my favourite models. Now, this one is the Dwarf Thane, just casually just leaning on his on his axe, you know, just taking time out between battles. Yeah, um, it's a nice model, isn't it? Juan Diaz is some really good models. The, the, the Demon Axe were another one of, uh, you wouldn't admit it, but another one of Jay's favourites, <laughs> aren't they? They are. I remember he went to great lengths to get a load of metal ones of those. And then I don't think I ever did anything with them. I think you saw the arrows a... ways by turning to chaos and was very disappointed yeah. himself. But he very nearly started a slash army. I was very proud yeah. of him. Very nearly. Just like he nearly did a Black Legion army. He's got <laughs> so close, but so far. Um, Matt, what's your top three? So number three for me would have to be the Necro Sphinx. Now, I never, I never did a Tomb Kings army. I always really wanted to do one. I did. And it was always going to be the like the next army that I did, but then the old world happened, the end of the world happened, and... I never did it. So I you're very excited about Bretonians coming. I'm very excited about Tomb Kings going. And I will absolutely be splitting a box with you if they're both in the big launch Excellent. box. Uh, but the Necro Sphinx was an amazing model. And from some of the responses that we've seen on Twitter today, I think a lot of newer players don't know it existed. It was mm. amazing looking, wasn't it? It was. I had one of these um, and I built it as the, um, I'm going to call it the transport version uh, with like <laughs> the archers and stuff on the back. It was a very, very cool model. It was the main reason I got myself a little bit of a Tomb King's army. Uh, don't know what ever happened to it, actually. I think it just got lost in Jay's attic. Um, but yeah, it was a very, very cool model. Yeah, I, I'm super looking forward to this uh, coming back. Number two on my choice, though, was is this a strange one. The Ogre Kingdom Stonehorn. Oh uh, yeah, that so was it. Yeah, it was, it was all those big things like the Mornfangs uh, and the and the big mammothy things. 
were originally um, fantasy kits, and obviously they 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 really fit the Age of Sigmar aesthetic. But at the time, they were some of the biggest kits that they did for fantasy, and they mm. were really clever in that it had it had two different heads and two different crew that really made quite a different silhouette. If you built the um, the dual build, it's something they did really well in fantasy by maximizing the kits to have two you know quite different looking monsters out of a single box. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed my ogres and painting up those gorges. I might even stick some ogres back on square bases, Dave. Um, but number one for me is a model that came out, well, it opened up the end times, and that is Nagash. Now, obviously, yeah. back in the midst of time, we had teeny tiny little Nagash with his big hat, and he looked ridiculous. <laughs> the, uh, the, the new Nagash is still one of the best models GW do. So good with the you know, clever use of negative space and the ghost spinning around him and his yeah. with the screaming face. It's just a painted one, and you know what? I'd happily paint another one. It's such a good get. I keep toying with doing uh, soul blight, and I've I've toyed with bone reapers in the past as well. And I'm gonna, you know, be honest. Nagash was one of the draws for doing both of those armies to eventually get him and you know get him on the shelf painted. But it's just not come around yet. Why but it will. It will buy one Nagash, day. Dave. Why don't you just buy Nagash? I should. I should Even if you never use the armies, it's a cool model to paint up. And then if he you is. do get those armies, you've got a thousand points already in the bag. Absolutely. Um, Andy has ended his top three. Now, um, I don't think I remember this unit, but his third choice is the Cornagors. The Corn Corngors, yeah. So they were so back in sixth edition, maybe. There was God-specific beastmen. There was Pestigors, who were all like rancid-looking beastmen. And then the Corngors, who were angry goats. Now, obviously, <laughs> we've had the Zangors and the Slangors since then. And um, I really hope those Corngors uh, come back at some point. Because I think they'd, you know, they'd, they'd work in all systems. You could have them in 40k as part of a um, World Eaters army. Mm. His second choice was the Dwarf Hammers, which are very cool Um very cool dwarfs i think my favorite dwarf unit was the miners i really mm. like the dwarf miners um and his top choice was the chaos chosen good top yeah. three there andy they were a cool kit they were dual kit with the forsaken i think they were called as well mm. yeah so on to my top three matt i'm this gonna delve straight in this isn't it my third choice matt is a certain high elf on a certain dragon leaping off a rock it's my third choice it wasn't my top choice it wasn't my favorite model out of everything Warhammer fantasy however i couldn't wait to get my hands on it i'd love to get my hands on it again even well, though i don't think i'll do a high elf army but yeah i'm, I'm hoping he gets re-released well they will do because the high elves are part of the um the, the thing so, so i think all the kits are getting re-released the question is dave which one would you build it as i really like the flame the fire mage with the flaming sword like the more yeah. combat dragon um oh yeah should i do high oh, da, 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 well do i do high elves at some point that's my number third choice number third choice number that's third my choice. third choice my second choice was um i remember jay had one of these paints in fact i think he had a he had a couple over the years that he, he paid really well but it was one of my favorite wood elf models and that was the wood elf lord posing with his sword down like the Elfarian the blind and um, with a bow on his back and he's kind of stood on like a log when he got loads of his little loads of little like sprites around him um i love that model i nearly got a wood elf army just so i could buy that model and paint it and 
and use it in a game. Um, but that is eclipsed by my favourite Warhammer Fantasy model. He he was a special character at first, and I, I want to say his name was King Alric. Um, but he was a dwarf lord stood upon a shield being held oh, aloft yeah. by two dwarfs. Um, I think f- for most of my Warhammer Fantasy time, I had a dwarf army, and this was my dwarf lord on his shield bearers. Um, quite handily took up two spaces on the front rank, um, but he was ace. I love the pose of the dwarf. I love the dwarfs holding him up. Um, yeah, I, I love that model. Again, another one I'd love to pick up at some point because um, it's just so, so cool. Um, did you did you ever have any of those models, Matt? Those three that I just mentioned? I um, I had the dragon. Uh, mine was, I think I built mine as just a wizard on a dragon. It seems an odd fit now because a wizard doesn't want to be in a combat, but a dragon very much wants to be in combat. <laughs> yeah. I I really need to dig out a lot of my old fantasy models because there were so many good ones. Yeah, there was. There was. Should I dig out that um pony from the dwarf Absolutely. release? Absolutely. I should, should that's, know. The, that's the thumbnail for this episode, Dave. Yeah, I'll have to find it from somewhere. Still on sprue, it's not been built. Cool. Um well they are our top threes. There was there was quite a few. I, I was tempted to go for some of those bigger models that Matt went to, but I wanted to state the kind of real classic Warhammer fantasy models. Um I think it's time, Matt, to find out what the community have chosen. So we're going to take one last pause and we'll be right back. And so we move on to the final segment of this week's podcast. And it's time to read out the community top three choices. I'm going to start over on Facebook with David Anderson. His third choice are the High Elf Swordmasters. Um, I think you could be on about the metal ones. You could be on about the, the plastic ones that came later, which were, to be honest, in quite a similar pose. But they were a very iconic unit uh, and were very, very cool. His second choice was the Dwarf Flame Cannon which uh, I had. Um, actually, one of the, the greatest games of Warhammer Fantasy I ever played was I was playing my dwarfs against Jay's uh, wood elves. And um, things like the trees and the dryads and stuff, they all had the flammable um, yes. keywords. So I had the flame cannon, which I actually I don't think did an awful lot. I think it killed a, a bit. But I remember giving um, my dwarf lord a flaming axe. And he... He his job was to he wanted to get into combat with Jay's tree lord and kill him in combat, <laughs> and he managed, he was doing he was doing really well he was fighting his way through and he finally got into combat with this tree lord the tree lord just stomped on him, I, I, I think I think I managed to swing and and did quite a bit of damage to him but then he just got stomped on I was devastated and um, it was like last turn of the game, um over on Discord JB has gone for the Green Knight the steam Ooh. tank and. Remember this one, Matt. The Ma- Marienburg landship at Ford World did. Oh, I so desperately want one of those. Imagine I really if that comes back. Made it. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, new is it? N- no, Nude Vader thirteen. Sorry, I can probably completely butchered your name there. He's also gone for the Green Knight. He's gone for the corpse cart and the Doom Wheel. Yes, the Doom Wheel is so cool. New one especially. I mean, remember the old metal doom wheel was um, it was a it was a thing. <laughs> a metal doom wheel sounds like an absolute nightmare to build. Yeah, it was a lot more basic compared to the plastic one. 
Right. Okay. Um, and the and the metal screaming bell. Do you remember that too? No, I don't remember seeing that. No. Um, I'll Google it after. Um, Brian has gone for in third place the Heil Spearman, his second choice of the Bretonian Knights, and his top choice. Now this was a cool model, as Hag the Slaughterer. As Hag the Slaughterer was that the orc on the Wyvern? I think it was. Yeah. What was the name of the um, Chaos Dwarf on the? big bull thing uh, was that was just a, a chaos dwarf on a on, a, on a, there was there wasn't there was a named one as well i forget what his name was slight tangent there but yeah i think i think brian's referring to the the very cool orc uh apologies if you weren't brian both cool models anyway uh john lee no particular order because this is a very hard one harry the hammer from 2008 yes. question mark he's put a picture in as well which is just an awesome model um he's also gone for the green knight and the dwarf lord being carried on the oaf shield so coincidentally harry the hammer was the cover of the first edition of warhammer there you go oscuri again apologies if i've butchered your name he's gone for the snotling pump wagon yes he wood elf way watchers and for his top choice, Teclas. Matt, what do we have on X and Threads? So on Threads, uh, DPS is a might. Uh, DPS, I'll say. Says uh, Grom the Paunch, Alario, and the Magus Lord. All three character versions, yeah, because they came out during the end times. Mm. Uh, Trawling Clean says it's a tough one. But number three, the Dark Elf Dreadlord. Number two, the Chaos Lord on a horse, but it was a close toss-up between him and Harry the Hammer. Number one, Lock here, Thalhart. Nice. Uh, Anglesin says the 1990s old Carl Franz on Deathwing, the 1995 Green Knight, and the 2013 Cauldron of Blood. Um, and then over on X, Twitter, I'm calling it Twitter. Jem uh, <laughs> says the Dreadsaurian, though now it's sadly in Legends. The classic metal giant is still big by modern standards. And the Imperial Dragon, which was about the size of a roast chicken, but you had to make the wings out of foil. Yeah, it's a cool <laughs> dragon. I think it was in Warhammer World in the museum at some point. It was amazing looking. And also, more things need to be measured compared to roast chickens. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt Smith says, the lesson is, if you want me to love a model... Then an elf with a big sword may be a big bird to ride. Mm -hmm. And he's pictured, um, um, what's his name? Althari in the Blind, the plastic prince on Griffin, and uh, the wood elf lord with the glaive, which is a really nice model. Uh, Leaky Cheese has a soft spot for the Realm of Chaos Blood Letter and Flesh Hound, which both look ridiculous by modern standards, but they have a nostalgic charm. Uh, Knight Jess is a big fan of wood elves, and she's gone for the, the classic... Wood Elf Lord on Dragon, which is the correct choice because I love that one so much more than the remastered <laughs> one they did with the twins on. Uh, the, the classic Trish uh, Tree Man um, and oh, a Waywatcher too. That's really cool. Green Stuff Studios says the Hell Cannon was a real badass. Oh, and Skaven had loads of cool heroes. Yes, that should have been in my top three. I love that Hellcat. That that was another um, model which nearly started an army because I really wanted one of those Chaos cannons with the little Chaos Dwarf crew. Yes, they were really nice. I really hope that we see them come back for the um, for the old world because I would buy one of those 
in an absolute second. Um, and then also, the Lord of Slanesh on the boob worm will always have a special place in my heart. So again, fans of a certain vintage will know this model. Um, it is the um, the the, the I, I converted it into a herald on a um, sea. Boob worm would be the politically correct term, but yeah, it's a worm with boobs. It's a boob worm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ryan Powell has got the the dwarf that uh, Jay mentioned resting on his axe holding his, his helmet, which is such a nice model. CHK Mini says the classic Orc Shaman Nazgrob, Archeon from 6th edition on his horse, and the Witch Hunter Captain from Mordheim. Surprise, you can give some Witch Hunters, Dave. Oh, oh, the last Witch Hunter that came out with the Empire range. He was amazing. He was my go-to character when we, we played a bit of um, RPGs and we had to kind of bring a character along. That was a model I bought with me. Yeah, so uh, the Herdstone says, I need only one of his pictured, and I think it is as like the slaughter. It's the, it's the orc on a wyvern with a back banner, and it's so cool. Yeah. Such a cool model. Uh, and then Wolf Dog Art says, Really excited for Tomb Kings, War Sphinx, Tomb Guard, and the Necropolis Stalkers. They were the big snake things. Uh, I really hope they make a Tomb King upgrade sprue for the modern death battle because the old Tomb King skeletons look silly. Yes, they did. They've got a bit of nostalgic charm, but I, I, I suspect we'll probably see those old ones come back. Uh, Justin Andres says, Cetra, Krell, and Krogar. And yeah, that's, uh, there's a lot of love for um, the old world, it seems. I'm really excited to see what they do bring back. And if they bring back everything, it's going to be an expensive month when that comes out. It absolutely is, Matt. It absolutely is. I'm just in the show. I'm, I'm getting. I'm allowing myself to get excited. Bring it on! Can't wait till Saturday to learn, to find out what we um, what we can. No, fucking. Where am I going with that? I'm really looking forward to Saturday now to see what gets revealed for the old world. I'm really hoping it's the big box. It's gotta be the big box, please. GW, be the big box. So you're feeling the old love, Dave. I am indeed, Matt. Well, your um, your knowledge of um, starter boxes for fantasy, sadly, is a little bit lacking. From that section, uh, you said Empire and Orcs is the most uh, common ones, but they only had one box each, both in the same box. The the correct answer was actually Goblins, who were in two boxes, and Hyalves, who were also in two boxes. However, oh. however... If the uh, Bretonians are in the starter box for the old world, they will then be joint at two as well. I don't know. See, that's really cool, isn't it? That there's there's been a game system that's had such a varied, like their boxes have had so many different armies in them. You know, you don't yeah, for 40k, you're always going to have space marines, aren't you? Yes, okay, yeah. they change up their opponents, but there's always going to be space marines. And with Sigmar, I think it's always going to be Stormcast with a change in opponents. Yeah, and you know what? I'd like to see that change because it's cool as Stormcast art. I think Cities of Sigmar would be really good as like the um, kind of poster boys. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. So at this point, Matt, I would ask you what next week's top three is, but I am going to be slightly rude and I'm going to take a <laughs> guess that it's going to be the top three reveals from this Saturday's Warhammer preview. Am oh, I correct? Dave. It absolutely is. Yeah. We've done 222. We've done 222 of these episodes. I'm glad I've learned something uh, from them. And that's your, um, 
your habit of choosing that as the top three, which um, is quite right. And I think there is going to be a lot to choose from as well. So it should be a really, really good top three. It's an oldie but a goodie. And hopefully I've got lots of exciting things to talk about next week. Because, yes, there is a show next week. Because we had to yeah. do it, didn't we, Dave? We had to. We've got to talk about this new stuff. It's got to be done. And hopefully, Matt, we'll have almost, if not, a full team as well to chat about um, all these cool new things. We'll have to have everything crossed. However, until then, we've got plenty of content coming up on spruceandbrews.com. Uh, make sure you to uh, you subscribe to our YouTube channel because um, I know we have got some new videos incoming on there as well. And, of course, check us out on social media um, for all the latest goings-on and working progresses in me frantically painting guard. <laughs> until then, have a great time hobbying, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye! Bye!